0: You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. Today, you have Ariel Barker and Andy Johnston, and we're talking about the one question we hear the most these days. Are deals getting done? We recently covered this topic on our blog, but have decided to dive a bit deeper into it here today. So, Andy, let's go ahead and kick things off. Are deals getting done?
2: Hi, Ariel. The good news is yes, deals are getting done. I think if you go back in time, there were certainly probably 60 days where... No one was sure that was going to be the case. I think especially at the outbreak of the COVID pandemic and the quarantine, the stock market really pulling back severely in a short period of time, put a lot of people's minds really in a state of concern. And I think the good news is that as companies continue to perform well during the pandemic and during the quarantine, buyers got their courage back. And I would say the stock market rally helped immensely to convince people that there really was a lot of value still to be had from doing acquisitions, from, you know, whether it's making investments or companies acquiring other businesses to help accelerate their growth. And frankly, we saw it probably uh, as a catalyst for let's call it accelerating certain trends that were already in place. So, you know, fortunately for us, we had a long history of working with IT services, outsourced business services companies, and it made enterprise IT only that much more important. For a lot of companies in different situations, when you have workers and customers unable to travel, unable to come into the office, but really emphasized the need for a robust IT solution, and in some cases, it made it a strategic priority to implement the latest version of certain software, replace maybe a manual process with a software-driven process. You know, all the kind of transformational changes that people thought that maybe they had years to roll out and implement suddenly became a you know we got to get that done in the next. 60, 90 days, and, and I think when companies move like that and suddenly make strategic shifts in their priorities, the service providers responsible for those changes take notice, and for a lot of, we found both investors and, and strategic buyers, it really made uh, it more urgent from their perspective to go acquire certain companies that were filling gaps and you know meeting the needs of their clients at a faster pace than they could accomplish just through organic hiring or other organic means.
1: Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing that the IT services and the business services ecosystem seems to be faring pretty well in terms of m and client just because of the continued attractiveness to buyers. But in terms of those sellers, what are some typical impacts that you're seeing or areas of impact, either from verticals that they're serving into cost savings due to COVID, you know, travel expense reduction, because most people aren't going to conferences and events right now. What are some of those factors that are playing in?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. So yeah, travel is kind of a running theme. So for a lot of companies that counted on in-person meetings, whether it's at the client, at their office, or at a conference, that model just suddenly, almost overnight, became untenable as conferences got canceled and travel got restricted to the point of, even if you wanna travel, there's so many restrictions now, whether it's from your company or the government. In certain cases, it's just not practical. The good news is we had a lot of clients in the IT services space, especially, we were very comfortable with the remote delivery model, and to the extent clients could get used to it, you know, we're very comfortable presenting sales presentations and talking through the scope of a new engagement on a remote basis. And so, when the clients suddenly have to switch to working remotely, work from home, there really is no alternative other than to meeting remotely. So it, it really worked out well in terms of you know where they had a good relationship they still were able to move deals forward, especially larger clients. So I think one of the things we've noticed is that it definitely matters in this environment what type of end client you're serving. The larger enterprise scale clients tend to have more flexibility here. Either they have a a bigger budget they can dip into or just a a more, um, I would say, enduring demand that they can respond to. The small and medium sized clients are, are frankly probably more exposed to a downturn kind of across any industry. And then, you know, clearly industry vertical matters here. So, you know, we've seen folks who have a real deep exposure to oil and gas or the travel industry, you know, frankly, see a big reduction in demand. They had to deal with, you know, budget cuts, if not projects and planned expenditures being turned off almost overnight, and in some cases, uh, bankruptcies. On the other hand, there are industries where there's a sudden leap in demand. So if you're involved in e-commerce systems implementation, suddenly you're extremely highly sought after and even some spaces that you think would be struggling like retail they're actually doing fine if they have an e-commerce strategy so it, it means that they're really pouring all of their budget and time and focus into their e-commerce online strategy and backing away from their you know brick and mortar in-store strategy so it really benefits the kind of clients that we work with who are typically involved in those digital transformation enterprise software implementation projects the other trend that we saw coming for a couple of years, really before quarantine, was a shift to the cloud, which is a nice generic term, but yeah, the concept of delivering software from a third-party hosted solution, and probably the most popular one that everyone knows is Salesforce.com, but there are also cloud hosting environments like Microsoft's Azure, Amazon's AWS, and, and Google has a solution as well. They're kind of the three most popular public clouds you know the the whole point of the cloud was to get away from proprietary data centers from on-premise on-site infrastructure so it's just very fortunate that the companies that we were focused on because we saw the cloud as becoming more important and we're starting to spend more time working with and getting to know and kind of leading cloud implementation partners you know suddenly the the market was really playing into their hand and you know their demand is really shooting up their growth is you know some of their best growth quarters they've ever had have come in 2020 and when you combine that with the travel reduction we talked about, you know whether it's travel for sales, meals and entertainment, or travel for delivery, which for most guys is just a zero-margin you know, expense pass-through, when you cut that out of their PL, it actually makes them more profitable than they've ever been. It allows more of that revenue to drop to the bottom line. So in some ways, these companies are having their best quarters ever, which really defied our expectations from the beginning of this year when we thought everyone would really be in a slump. And see a slowdown. And I think that's also because of that enduring success and, and growth across lots of different categories of IT services, you're seeing a lot of buyers show up that, that may have been cross-industry or more industry agnostic, suddenly decide that this is a space they need to spend more time in. Whereas previously they may have thought it was too niche or specialized, or one they didn't understand well enough. Now we're seeing them, you know, show a renewed interest. Primarily because we see, you know, that these clients are doing so well. And I think it's it's an enduring change. You know the travel expense might eventually go away, but the need for enterprise technology and digital transformation, we think it's it's proving itself to be not a nice to have but a critical you know must have expenditure item for clients. And the market is proving that out, we think, with buyer interest and deal activity.
1: I think especially in the sectors that we plan, we are continuing to see that, and we've been really lucky that because they've been able to continue performing, we've been able to take quite a few companies to market during this time and even close, you know, most recently three deals, I think in the last three months. So I guess in terms of those conversations that we are actively having with buyers, I think it'd be interesting for you to talk about just kind of the breakdown of if you're seeing more private equity investors at the table, if you're seeing more strategic buyers at the table, and then kind of within those two groups, are you seeing any continued financing issues? I know that was a much bigger issue kind of at the beginning of the pandemic. It seems like some of those issues are solving themselves, but for some buyers that is still playing into their decision to make transactions. So just be interested to hear a little bit about what you're actively seeing there.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think there was a period of time where strategic buyers, you know, large corporate buyers Seem to be the only parties willing to move ahead, you know, feeling like they had a stronger balance sheet or a business case to do a deal, where they had more of a, uh, let's call it, insight into the future performance, or had, you know, for example, like a large global systems integrator. When they buy someone, typically they come in with a business plan of we're, we're going to take you as a smaller company and show you to all of our client relationships, and that cross sell, upsell is more than going to make up for any you know, impact we might have near term to your organic growth. And, you know, there's just this long-term synergy reason to pursue a deal at typically a pretty attractive valuation. So private equity guys, for a little while, I would say we're on the sideline or we're politely telling us it would take them a lot longer to get to closing. And most of it was shifting the blame over to their lender partners, saying that the banks and and lending debt funds had really, in their opinion, seized up. You know, they're just unwilling to write debt when the market outlook was so uncertain and they needed, you know, very strong assurances that the business was going to perform, you know, anywhere close to the prediction to cover the debt service needs and essentially not present a credit risk. That, I would say, has largely subsided, and we now see private equity firms showing up, you know, at similar levels and similar valuations as they were pre-pandemic. And if anything, probably a few more funds are now in the mix. You know, generalist funds maybe have shied away, as I mentioned earlier from IT services as being too specialized for them. They now come to the opinion it's actually one of the better performing sectors and they wanna be more focused on that than other spaces. And so they're showing up to deals where they previously would not have been participating. I think for us, the strategic buyers, you know, where they're in good shape, they're definitely showing up with strong interest. I think some have issues where you know, it's depressing their stock price or they're overexposed to an industry vertical that's not performing well. And they've just chosen, you know, for, for whatever reason, to stay on the sidelines as far as deals go. I think that's true in any market. You know, that there's always kind of this coming and going of strategic buyers, whether it's because of leadership changes or market conditions. So I would say, you know, looking at current deals that are in the market now that we're, you know, kind of getting through the first phase of bids and down selecting to parties and seeing who's still in the mix. Yeah, it's still a, a similar mix of strategics and private equity groups. Probably the biggest change, we've seen some you know, funds that we would not have expected to be competitive or aggressive are now probably leaning in a little more and are willing to put up more aggressive valuations in order to stay in a process that otherwise they would let, let go in favor of thinking they're going to do something else or just didn't understand the space well enough to be aggressive.
1: And within a lot of these processes, I know a question that I hear is, you know, Are the transactions taking place more opportunistic where there are companies that are not performing well and these buyers are able to, you know, for lack of a better word, find a deal? Are you still seeing that what is most attractive to buyers are these performing companies that have really been able to lean into the pandemic? Does that seem to be more of an interest to buyers right now?
2: It's a good question. So I think I've seen more announcements of distressed deal funds than I'm used to seeing. So I think there's a decent number of funds who are now out there looking for deals and kind of letting it be known that, you know, bring your broken toys to us and we'll we'll take good care of them type of outcomes. I think strategic buyers are pretty confident that when they see a well-performing business, that they need to be you know at the market level for valuation if they're going to survive a, a competitive process certainly we see you know i would say maybe a little higher than usual amount of let's call it tire kicking or folks that you know ask all the right questions but then when the bid shows up it's pretty underwhelming somewhat signaling they were hoping for you know not much else interest in the market and they could get this at a you know a lower than expected valuation fortunately we've been you know, very capable in terms of bringing good parties to the table, and, and we're able to weed the, those parties out. So, I put it at probably on the strategic buyer side, no more than we experienced in the past. So, there are always going to be folks looking for a good deal. On the private equity side, what I see now are funds kind of announcing their strategy or forming a new fund whose sole strategy is distressed deal investing. And, you know, from our perspective, if you don't go to that fund, then you tend to, you know, avoid those kind of outcomes. When bids come across, but I think some folks just can't help themselves. And, and like you were alluding to, they you know are looking at the pandemic, they're looking at some distressed companies in different sectors, and they're you know essentially telling themselves, hey, I think the market's slightly down right now. If we show up and and we find one that's got an external reason to you know need to get a deal done, like they need to delever, or there's a, a party who needs to get out for their own reasons, nothing to do with the company, you know maybe we can get a better than expected outcome here. But fortunately, we've had you know, good clients, we've, we've been able to give them good advice. And, and you know, not to say that there's definitely been a few clients where we said, look, the way your numbers are trending now, this probably isn't going to be a deal outcome you're interested in looking at where the market is. And, you know, counsel them into just waiting until their numbers pick back up. If they're looking for, you know, a certain value or a certain multiple that wouldn't be achievable if their organic numbers are just falling off due to, the quarantine or, or other market conditions that just happens to companies, you know, regardless of what's going on, from a uh, quarantine perspective.
1: So I have to ask the question, just because I know everyone listening will want to know, what are you seeing in terms of valuations?
2: I think they are back to where they were pre-pandemic. The stock market has shown incredible strength. I think it has boosted people's confidence in bidding you know, where they see the public companies trading, I'm not saying at that level, but, you know, that's a pretty high ceiling that they can feel confident bidding underneath and still having upside. And I don't think people should uh, ignore the fact that interest rates for debt are now so low that it is really compelling the kind of returns that these leveraged buyout funds can get by applying. I, I would say they're typical turns of EBITDA, so it's usually, you know, three or four turns of EBITDA what they can get from a debt provider, and then they can come fill in. And, and look, we've seen outcomes as high as you know, 12, 15 times EBITDA for high growth recurring revenue businesses to you know call it six to eight times EBITDA for smaller, you know, growing fine, but nothing stellar, you know, with reasonable operating margin type businesses. So what, what we're really seeing is a focus on enduring growth, you know, making sure that the reason. That the company is experiencing growth this year is not a, a one-time, short-term need, and two, that their delivery model is sustainable. And if they had expense reductions due to, for example, you know, travel being on hold to go to conferences, that when that returns, it, it doesn't, you know, erode a big portion of their operating margin. Because, because there is a view, I will say, for the buyers who show up and and really, you know, show well, and sellers want to do a deal with them in terms of their strategy and their vision for the business. Most of them do have a vision that this will pass, that maybe it's six months, 12 months, whatever the timing is, you know they're long-term buyers and they feel like there's a good chance that the travel restrictions will eventually be lifted, the quarantine effect will eventually work its way out of the system. and they're looking for companies that will be you know long term sustainable, that they're using this opportunity to maybe grow their market share, hire good people, build up a talent base for delivery, and you know kind of cement themselves in the market. To position themselves for a longer term growth and and success when the economy returns somewhat back to normal and especially around travel and quarantine restrictions get lifted they want to make sure they're in a business that will perform well in that situation
1: so i think we've obviously made the point that yes deals are getting done right now but obviously not at the volume that they were pre-covid 19 pandemic do you anticipate kind of for The last quarter of this year, that we're going to start to see that deal volume pick back up quickly. Um, I know, obviously, you see some charts out there that show hockey stick projections of how M&A activity is going to come back. Or do you think it's going to come back a little bit slower? You think it's going to take some more time?
2: I think it'll be a little slower. I think right now there's so much anticipation built into valuations that I, I just can't imagine there being another wave of increased deal activity. Look, maybe some guys who are really on the sidelines are gonna jump back in and like Q4. And we have a few buyers who I would say normally would have done more deals by now and their peers are getting deals done again. And for whatever reason, they're still being conservative. They're still waiting to make sure this is, a, you know let's call it the beginning of a recovery and that there's not a second shoe to drop kind of conservatism. And I, I think once they see how many deals they missed out on in Q3, they'll show up in Q four, I just don't think it'll be enough to quote be a hockey stick. I think people will just incrementally come back in. I've heard a few people now talk about the election coming up and and maybe trying to get deals done just before the election, for whatever reason their, you know, advisors are telling them that would be more favorable to them or or maybe they want to lock in a tax rate that they're worried might change after the election. Reasons like that that might artificially speed up deals to happen, you know, prior to November. I'm never you know, that I'm never that confident about anything, certainly not something as unpredictable as an election or legislative changes. So I I tend to think it's more long-term driven. And from our perspective, as companies just demonstrate that they can perform well organically, I think it just naturally brings more buyers to the table. I think this, you know, concept of there's a huge amount of dry powder is still very true. I think the biggest funds are still raising, you know, even larger amounts of money for their next fund. And as they're proving that their portfolio companies can perform well, through this pandemic and, and can trade at attractive multiples to post you know great returns for their LPs, they'll just continue to amass more capital and that will continue to drive more deals, in my opinion. So hockey stick, probably not, but continued growth, I think so. And I think even for our firm, you know, our our typical pace was a deal closing a month. And that stopped for, you know, a little while at the beginning of this year, but it looks like in the second half of this year we'll be at that pace, if not a little higher. So I, I would think we'd have a slight bump in deal volume as a firm. And I think that probably is in line with the rest of the market.
1: So before we wrap up here, I'll ask any advice for IT or business services firms that are thinking, you know, is is now the right time to sell my business or not?
2: It's a good question. I think the same rules kind of always apply. You know, have you posted a good track record of growth? Do you have the processes in place to be Viewed as sustainable and attractive to whether it's an investor or a buyer who feels like this is built to last and it's been um, maybe starved of resources or had expenses trimmed to try to push profits up as high as possible, but in a way that's going to require whoever takes over next to come in and address some underinvestments. And probably more than anything, it's it's look at your market. Are you aligned with the right technology partner? Or are you focused on the right kind of clients and projects? Because this. You know let's call it the tide going out with the quarantine and, and the economic slowdown that followed I think exposed a lot of companies that maybe had been relying on you know uh, one source of referrals or, or one type of solution in a very niche market which when everyone is you know growing an expanding economy you know somewhat hides the risk that you're building up in a business and when the tide goes out you know it starts to expose who didn't have a diversified client base or a strong Relationship with their technology partner, or you know, a good second lieutenant leadership team that they can rely on to, to help grow the business. So I would say if you've shown good, you know, for this calendar year, and you're you know large enough that you feel like you'd be, be attracting the kind of buyers or investors that you want to do a deal with, I would not be afraid to you know explore a process at this point. We would tell you that buyers are still very hungry for deals, investors. More than ever, are turning to IT services now as uh, not a niche or an interesting side market, but you know it's starting to become a more fundamental, necessary budget item. And the more people that come to that view, the more valuable businesses in that space become, in our viewpoint. So I would definitely encourage people who've got a good track record established and have you know successfully navigated the challenges that this year presented them, to definitely think about exploring their options if they're interested in all in an M&A transaction.
1: Perfect. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully, this has shed some light on the situation for people. If you have any follow up questions, please feel free to reach out to us. You can reach Andy at Andy at the number seven mile You can also always go to the seven mile website for additional resources or contact information. Happy to help um, any companies that have questions kind of work through this interesting time. But with that, we will wrap it up. Thanks, Andy.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S dot com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business.